Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, more of Hockey Sense with Andy Strickland. Brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade. Bold, bubbly, packed with lemonade flavor. The one and only Brian Sutter. I always just tell the guys as a player, and, you know, you'd have the odd coach that come in and really peeved a bunch of guys off and, and you knew as a player you knew that but you always as who I was you always back the coach but I always used to say you guys you know you know we're going to do this together and I remember some of the guys were ready to kill one of our coaches one time he'd come out of junior and, and he's coaching us and, and he went out of the room after a meeting and he read his pregame speech on a piece of paper and Greg Millen sat at the door and switched his damn papers so his his pregame speech was all mixed up. <laughs> but I never forget because some of the guys said something smart out the after he walked out. And I said, guys, 20 guys in this room doing the wrong thing together are going to win more games than four or five of us doing what the coach said, seven or eight not doing what they're doing, and the other seven or eight saying the hell with everybody we're doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, like... St. Louis, all years you played, even when I coached, we had the lowest payroll in the NHL, and and uh, uh, it's you had players that come there and they did things in St. Louis that hey, I, I people don't talk about this, but the St. Louis the farm team for the Calgary Flames, and there was only two players that didn't go from St. Louis to Calgary that were supposedly top players in their team. You know, when Calgary won the Cup, what was there, 10, 11 of their players played for us in St. Louis in the last three years? Yeah. You know, three of their top 6D, Rammer, Rick Natras, Terry Johnson, uh, their wow. top centerman, Doug Gilmore, their best two right wingers, uh, Joey Mullen and Mark Hunter, uh, on and on and on. And it's because we were we were so close together, and it paid off, and Teams like Calgary, again, Cliff Fletcher was there and Al McNeil, and those guys knew what they were looking for. They need none of those guys besides Dougie and, and little Joe was where your top end scorer, but they're all character, quality, quality people. And I don't know, as a captain and as a coach, that's what you try to instill in everybody else. And, and uh, you know, it's the guys that everybody else disliked the most. We made sure that first night we had a beer or two together and, and we got things straightened around in a hell of a hurry. All right, let me and, ask you this, uh, Sudsy. So, like, when you're – because you're playing and you have this relationship with all these guys, they're your teammates, and then, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see it again. I mean, a player goes straight from being a player to being the head coach of a team in the National Hockey League. It's unheard of. Were you comfortable right off the bat coaching guys that were some of your best friends, like specifically a guy like Bernie Federico. Now now he's one of your players. He goes from being your best friend, teammate. Now you have the, the coach-player relationship. Like, break down that adjustment. Or the, how difficult was that for you? Well, it was it was really hard. It was, it was interesting because Mr. Quinn had called me and at the end of every season, as you guys know, we're not little but a day's drive from the Gulf of Mexico and 
Rammer, Rammer and and his family, Rob and his family, and, and our family, we always went to the Gulf of Mexico to, for a couple of days. And we were we were leaving that day, and they said, could you stop at the rink when you're heading out of town? And I'll never forget, because I'd, I'd played nine years and I'd broken every bone in my body, but you never missed a game. And then I broke my scalpula halfway through, I believe it was my ninth year, and uh, it was early in January. I remember I was leading the league in goals at 19 goals. It was January 2nd, and it was in Minnesota. And, and uh, I got hit funny into the boards and broke my scalpula. And I missed a bunch of time. And, and uh, the next couple of years were hard because the doctors didn't know how to diagnose me. And I missed uh, half of that year and half the next year and then came back. And, and uh, But I got myself. I was always in great shape. And, and uh, anyhow, and... So I, I was just getting my career going. I'd come back after a year again, and, and uh, uh, anyhow, and it was it was kind of neat. I was they just signed and they just signed me to a new four year contract, three years plus an option. And but they said stop at the rink. So we stopped at the rink, and I couldn't believe what they told me. And and uh, uh, lots of times they'd get you to stop and they'd ask you about a player in another team. What do you know about him, Suds? Would he be a good teammate or this or that and, and uh you never ever really said anything bad about anybody so i said brian and they hadn't let our coach go yet but they said we want to name you coach and i remember looking at them and hesitating and wondering why in the hell they would want that they just signed me to a new contract i was in the best shape of uh, i couldn't wait for next season to start and but we had the oldest team in the league, and once again, we had the smallest payroll. And and uh, anyhow, it was it was kind of interesting because well, we went to the Gulf of Mexico, and I thought about it a lot and talked about it with Judy quite a bit, and and I said we'd do it. And I wasn't 32 years old, and it, it was hard. It was kind of you know I, I look back at it because I became the youngest captain in the history of the NHL when they named me captain. Every back, everybody back then was like 34, 35, and you know Red was our captain. He, he was 38 or 39 a couple of years before, and I was 21, 22, and so it was the same thing as a coach. It was hard. You, but I looked back and made those comparisons, and it was hard, you guys. But something I always did, and again we talked about where I was raised. The first thing I did is, is when they named me captain or coach, is that. Uh, I hired the most experienced people to to coach with me that I could find. And one was Bob Barry, and Bob had coached, I don't know how many years, in the NHL, and he was a top head coach out in L.A. And and so Bobby came, and then Wayne Thomas was a guy that was always, goaltending coaches were new then, and yet he had head coaching ability, and he played for a lot of good teams. And Wayne came, and and then uh, I, Joe, I got Joe to... Nicoletti, to, he, he was a younger guy, like a few years older than me, but it was an awesome group, and they they made the turnover a little bit easier from a, to a coach, and yet I knew we had to change, and, and uh, it, it was it hard coaching. Well, Bernie Federico was my centerman for all the years, and Doug Gilmore was my centerman the last couple of years, and now to coach those guys, that you, you knew that was going to be hard. and But, I, you know, if you never forget where you come from, you always remember where you're going in life. And I 
I, I never forgot the things that Red and Barkley and Bobby and Claude LaRose and Glenn Hall and Al Arbor and, and Mr. Francis, uh, Jock Demers taught me over the years. And, and, and again, it goes back to trust and respect and they, and back then the general managers and the owners, if they decide to trade somebody, they didn't always talk to the coach. And that's the part that I, I tried to explain to them that had to change. And it was changing in the NHL then. And, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a good example that I came down to get coaches back then. I'd always get to, you'd get together at the draft in June and then you'd get together late in July and early August for a week or 10 days and go over, you know, everything from your, do all your travel and everything else. And back then, Susie Matthews are, uh, public relations manager and a special friend and like a general manager too. And, uh, anyhow, but you, you got together and you talked about things, but I'll never forget. I was flying back home to the Western Canada, the farm, stopped in Minnesota, switching planes. And, uh, I thought I should call the office because I thought there was something weird going on when I left there. And they, the general manager and the, and, uh, president weren't really telling me. And, and they they said something to me that they traded Dougie Gilmore, and I said, "You've done what, Dougie?" And we had Dougie and Bernie was an older veteran guy and still one of the top centermen. Dougie, I knew was going to be a star, and probably the only reason he wasn't because he was playing with me. And uh, but anyhow, it was interesting. I tore the friggin' phone, the payphone off the wall, and the friggin' guys in the Minnesota airport were going to throw me in jail. I was so mad because they said they traded Dougie to Calgary. And then when they were, and, and it was all over, it was over money and a, a, a supposed off ice issue that wasn't true. And, uh, it, and it was, you know, that happened again and again, they did it to it to me with my best friend, Bernie. And, uh, I said, okay, fine. Then you guys are going to do that. You guys are going to trade them. And in one way I was happy for Bernie because, him and I were always underpaid compared to the other top guys in the league. And we never complained about it. We thought we were in heaven because St. Louis was such a great city and, and the people were great. And it was in, still is home to Bernie and still is home to, to mom and I. And, uh, but I said, fine. You, I remember saying it to Mr. Cron, fine, you buggers. And I was really upset. They, I knew they were going to do it. And, and Jock Demers had left us and gone there. And of course he won Bernie. Bernie was still a great player. And, uh, I says, okay, you, I'll never forget my exact words. Okay, you buggers, you're trading our top player. I get to pick the players that are coming back. And they told me who they're getting back. I said, forget it, you guys. And, uh, uh, I were, we're, we're, that's, that's not the guys we're getting back. And, and, uh, but hey, we got. I, I wanted Paul McLean because we had a young man that I know was helping turn into one of the greatest players in the history of hockey in Brett Hall. And uh, I knew Holly. Holly was like a son to me and still is. I knew I needed somebody to help me as a player uh, to help Holly get better. And so we, that's how we got Paul McLean. Uh, the other guy. We had to replace Bernie, and Adam Oates was the fourth line center in, De- in Detroit. You know, he hardly ever killed penalties. Played the point in the power play a little bit, but he wasn't a top end player. I said I want Adam Oates and Paul McLean, 
and uh, they, we got him. And I know it's it killed Bernie and it killed me and it hurt our relationship. It doesn't anymore, but because we were so close and our wives were close and our families were close. And but there's a lot of little things that went on. Was it hard? You guys asked to become a coach. I'm giving you two of the said the Steve Tuttles and Tom Tillys and so many guys like that. Said the Steve Tuttles and Tom Tillys and. So many guys like that. They were special, special guys, and you know, and, and uh, it was we became something as a team and as a group again. And, and uh, uh, I don't know. It was interesting, but I look back and I enjoyed it. It just went too quick. Everybody wondered how it was, and it was, it was hard. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm a little long-winded. But no. You guys are asking questions. I've never been asked before, and they're, they're those are pretty neat questions. Yeah, and you're giving great answers, man, and we appreciate it very much. So, but I, I got to talk about Holy though. So, so he comes from Calgary. Like, what'd you know about him? What'd you see from him? And, and like, your relationship is special. I've talked to Holy about you numerous times. He's got so much respect for you, and Adam Oates has so much respect for you as well. The way that they talk about you, but Holy specifically, did you know like he had that type of potential where he could? truly evolve and become one of the greatest players ever, Brian. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you guys, because there you go. You're talking about morals and values and things like that in life. And obviously everybody knew who Brad Hall was because of his dad. And all I knew was he had a son that scored 80-some goals in the BC Junior League. And then but everybody wondered what he was like as a teammate because he was a little overweight. And I didn't want to stretch. And white whiskey a little bit and and then he was that way in, in university when he went to NCAA and and uh, and he had the same attitude kind of when he turned pro and and so people didn't know what to think of him and I I was lucky with Brett because they traded for him he was one he was one of the few guys we got from Calgary over the years that made a major impact on our hockey team from giving up like the raw ramages and leaders like that we had on our team going the other way. But I was, like I said, I was lucky I played with Holly the one year and you saw how the players didn't really respect them the way that I thought they should. But Holly was somebody, you guys, that, and I've never talked about these things. Brett was somebody that he wanted respect and wanted to be loved I saw them know how to get either of them. And I saw that immediately at him when he came to us. And so him and I became close as a player. And and uh, uh, he was just, Brett, I just, I got him to understand himself more and better than maybe some other people did. And at that time, he didn't have a great relationship with his dad. And so I replaced that a little bit. But once again, I said this earlier, good friends don't tell each other what they want to look them in the eye and tell them what they want to hear. But everybody always said I was a hard-ass, hard-nosed coach. I was never a holler and scream guy. You know, you looked at people in the eye and tell them what you saw. You didn't repeat it to the press. You cared about them. You cared about their families. Uh, and hey, when he had a game, that he knew he was, he might have scored three goals and he was minus three and we lost five four. He'd be waiting in the parking lot or he'd sneak into the coach's office after the game and him and I'd sit out and have a beer. Well, so I'd go about this, what about that? And 
And uh, but I, I used to tell him, well, you want to be a leader, then you got to, the one thing is a leader. And I used to tell Mr. Francis and Barkley and all those guys, don't you ever come in the room and say something hard to anybody else in the room without using my name first and putting me in their boots first. And uh, anyhow, it was, and that's how I was with Brett. He'd never say anything to him that I wouldn't want said to myself, but you had to make him understand himself and what made himself better. And and uh, sometimes it was maybe hard love, but love was love. You, you, and I, I cared for every guy on our team, but it's... Uh, it's, it was interesting. Brett's best friends over the years, like you got him to play with both senior. You know, you get Jeff Brown. Jeff Brown was just like Brett Hall. Nobody in the NHL, they didn't want him. He was the worst minus for a defenseman in the NHL when we got him. And I'll never forget it. We give up Derek Temple and I forget who else. And well, Bobby became one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. And then you had, yeah, you had to get him. So it was neat. You had him and Otsi and Holly. And I said, just hang on, Brett. You're leading the NHL in goals, and you got twice as many shots as anybody in the NHL. Can you help me figure out how we're going to be a better penalty killer when you're the best power play guy in the league? You should know what everybody's doing before they do it. <laughs> and he looked at me, didn't say nothing. Well, he did a pretty good job killing penalties until he'd get things screwed up. He did a lot of times early in his career. You know, most guys took 45-second shifts. He took two shifts. Well, he tried to kill the whole friggin' penalty <laughs> to the team. But, like, I used to tell him to some, I says, guys, like, I only had five or six minor penalties a year, and you'd have 200 minutes. And But I, I, I said, you guys can't be taking misconducts and getting kicked out of the game and and uh, taking penalties at bad times of the game. And, and uh, so you taught them. Hey, Chaser went from a fighter to a guy that played a number of years in the NHL, Twister, too. And it's because they learned, hey, you move Twister to forward. Uh, on and on, there was lots of guys, Brother Richie and Bobby Bass and David Lowry. Oh, yeah. you know, there were three guys that nobody else wanted on their teams. You got them, you put them together. The first thing I did is switched every one of their positions <laughs> and put them on a line together. They each scored 15 goals a year. They were the best checking line in the NHL, and we had the best penalty killing in the NHL. You know, you move Bass to center, Dave Lowry from right wing to left wing, Richie from right wing to left wing, and uh, they were they became like Holly's best friends and Oatsy's best friends and Brownie's best friend. And it's, you know, you, you guys are asking questions. I, I hope you, I'm not wandering around in circles, and, and but you're trying to, we're we're absorbing a sponge right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Andy and I are just sitting here absorbing everything, man. Like that's what we do. Yeah, we I love mean, it. We love it. Are you kidding? I, 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 a few yeah, more questions, go. and then we're gonna, gonna and go. then we're gonna let you go. What about the trade in '91? Where you guys traded Momesso and Jeff Cortnall? I mean, there was a whole package, right? You got Garth Butcher back in return. I really thought that was the team that was going to do it. That was the team that was going to win the first Stanley Cup. And it, it it appeared like it disrupted everything. What were your thoughts? Like, how much influence did you have on the trade? And, like, did you know right away, uh-oh, we made a mistake? Well, back then, like I touched on before you guys, coaches didn't have a lot of input in the trades. You heard about them and you knew they were going on. I was lucky because Pat Quinn was another great friend like Al Arbor. And and Pat Burns, I was lucky. Older guys that were, they took me and under their wing and treated me pretty good. I was young enough to be their son, and and 
Pat would always call me because he had a guy like Dave Lowry, for instance, said he was supposed to be the next Clark Gillies, a big, strong guy that's going to score 40 goals and fight guys. And Well, he couldn't do none of that stuff. And you, you got him to lose 20 pounds, and I'll never forget his first camp. I'm using Dave as an example. He was 112 pounds. Come to the next camp at 190 pounds, never killed a penalty in his life. Him and Richie and, and Bass became three of the best in the league. Yeah. And you you just had to, I don't know. Your question isn't an easy one to answer, but it's, it's uh, uh, you had, you had to make people understand themselves and, and be themselves as good as they can be and not feel that they had to score two or three goals to make a difference in a hockey game. And, uh, you know, guys like Holly and, and it's a guy like Brad Hall. When he left St. Louis, he never, did he ever score 35 goals again? And he played on the two best teams in the NHL mm. with the two best coaches, Scotty Bowman and Ken Hitchcock. He never scored like there was three years in a row. He almost scored a hundred goals for the St. Louis Blues when we were together between exhibition, playoffs, and regular season. Crazy, you know nobody ever did. Isn't that crazy, you guys? Oh my God, it's but so went, it's so crazy. These guys, these guys would call me. It's like it should call and, and I'll never forget. Scotty called me one time. He goes, "Suds, he's the last guy on the ice again. He's probably about fifteen pounds overweight because he lies about his weight." <laughs> Uh, he smelt like something, like I think with vodka, and he doesn't want to stretch. <laughs> he says, who do you think I'm talking about? You talk about my son, and you be careful, because he was never that way. He did some of those things, but I always said there's a time and a place. <laughs> he smells so, like Codigo tequila was, now. <laughs> hey, okay, so let me ask you this, because, you know, Holly scored 50 and 50 with you. You had Cam Neely do the same thing in Boston. Ooh. Like, explore. Yeah, twice. Okay, twice. so so let's 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 oh. let's kind of compare the two. Like, if you need a goal, like Ooh, yeah. like who, who's the one guy that you want on your team to score? And like, what's the direct comparison between those two? Even though they scored a lot of goals, they kind of scored them differently. But like, yeah. uh, describe what it was like to coach both of them, you know, in their heyday. Yeah. Well, the first thing every coach has to do that you never hear talked about. And I've tried to touch on that a number of times with you guys, and it's like your friends and everybody and your teammates. As a coach, your first responsibility, and I felt that was my first and most important one, is to always, always put players in positions to succeed. And you, know, everybody says they want to play more, they want to do this, they want to do that. Like I didn't care. Hey, if at the end of the game, that you know who's having a good game and who is. Everybody wanted to be responsible away from the puck. There was a fight to who was going to want to be on the ice at the end of the game. And, and killing a penalty was as important as scoring a goal. And so as a result, Holly, you know, fell in love with Bass and David Lowry and Richie and Chaser and guys like that. But, you know, who you, you put those guys in positions to succeed. I'll never forget Holly. We're in L.A. He did, I says, he had 48 goals or something like that. And it was like 42 games or something. And he didn't score 50 and 50, guys. It was 50 and much less. Mm -hmm. I, you, you'd have to I check it. But I'll never forget, because he, that bugger, he was, I says, Holly, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And, and uh, uh, he was, you just had to get him thinking about hitting the net again and just, you know, the good thing about hockey is, you guys, any Dumbo can play it, and you're talking to one. Think short term. Don't don't be thinking about it's like farming. 
you got to you got to worry about what's going to go on a year from now. Uh, but uh, uh, anyhow, you got to uh, you got to put them in positions to succeed, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that's 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 what you did. You, you not make them think ahead of themselves. That's what I was getting at, you guys. Just think about what's in front of you. Take that's the neat thing about hockey. Take it a game at a time, and if you win, you win. And if you lose, like I used to say, guys, if we lose, we're going to lose because the friggin' clock ran out. We ran out of time. And that team does not want to play us tomorrow morning. Yep. And that, that's the way that's the way you coached. And that's like I remember telling Holly that. Just think about tonight. Don't worry about it. You know, and I, I'll never forget it was in L.A. And he went out and scored two that night. That's the night he got his 50th call. And uh, anyhow, it was pretty pretty darn special. And it's it's but you, you that's the thing about hockey. Think short term. Coaches got to look down the road. It's like farming. You gotta you gotta worry about tomorrow, and you gotta worry about next week and next. You gotta know what's going on next year too. But you're not in control of everything. Yeah, well, you're only in control of what's in front of you. And that's what I used to talk to Holly. Like he'd be start hanging his lip and start dragging his arse around the ice, and his teammates would be mad at him. And so what I I always played, you know, you do things that you you'd make the guys mad at you. You take Holly off the ice and put somebody else on, or you take Richie off and put Holly in his spot. And I remember doing it that night. And uh, and then all of a sudden, Holly, like Holly, you got to work hard like those guys and get in front of the net and deflect pucks. You just can't lead the league in shots, and half of them are missed nets, and they're all from outside the scoring areas. Yeah. And uh, Holly would get he would go back when times were tough. Like that, you guys, and those, hey, those aren't tough times getting ready to score your 50th goal. Like, I'll never forget, like, Cab Daly again, it was in LA. And we had it figured out. He had his knee shot and he was not, he was done. He was going to retire. And I convinced him to come back and play when I went to Boston. I said, here's a deal, Nails. You're not going to play back to back games. So I laugh. He comes to the rink the next day, and I had—I kind of looked at the schedule because you guys know there's back-to-backs, which, but I already knew he was going to play about 55 games, maybe. And I'll never forget because he had like again like 40. It was almost the same as Holly, 48 or 49, in uh, in like 43 or 44 games. And uh, he, the one he 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 scored that night. He had I had two guys score 50 and 50. In less than 50 in L.A. And Cam, you know, you know it was like out in L.A. Lots of guys went out there to play hockey, but after the game, you know, there, there was a piano bar and there we had a little bit of fun. <laughs> well, hey, they didn't want to go into overtime, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> They're like, we're getting this game over with. Well, some guys are thinking about other stuff, so uh, anyhow. But no, it was, you know, you just, once again, it was what you did with Holly. Hey. Holly, think short term. Don't get ahead of yourself. Like, uh, you know, just you know, know what you're doing next shift, and you know, I'll worry about what's going on at the end of the game. And the guys, they were never mad at you because you didn't put them on in this situation or anything, because you put them in positions to succeed. And uh, I remember that night switching them around with with a little bit. I remember Richie probably being mad at me, and and uh, anyhow, but it didn't bother me because you're trying to win. And, and then they realize at the end of the game, and they're all yelling and screaming, happier than hell. It went on, and us winning, and 
and Holly getting his goal and, and anyhow. So that was, it was always really special. But no, you guys, you know what we're talking about is we, Cam, and you know this is the relationships you had with the people you played with. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, again, you never, I was never any better than anybody else I ever sat with in the dressing room. I doubt, and, I doubt yeah. that though. <laughs> I really do. And, but, and again, the, the, the biggest thing that you would say to Holly in LA is it's like, Holly, don't think about the next shift. Mm-hmm. Think about the piano bar afterwards. So go get this <laughs> damn game done. <laughs> hey, um, listen, this has been, it's, it's, so it's been so much fun to, you're, you're to so kind of hear you talking. But- Brian Sutter here on Hockey Sense. Brought to you by MTC Trucking, as well as our friends over at Bud Light Seltzer. Don't go anywhere. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.